talk about building teams in 2024. And I think this is such an important topic because you can't go alone towards the future. You have to have people around you. And to understand how to build teams, attract the right capabilities, keep them focused and keep them creative moving into the future is an absolute paramount must. Welcome to the Expansive Podcast, where we explore the frontiers of personal growth, business innovation, and technology. We believe that growth and progress come from expanding our minds, exploring new possibilities, and embracing change. Welcome to this week's pod, all the way from Bulgaria, Sofia, Bulgaria, in freezing conditions. I'm coming at this from an igloo in the middle of, I'm kidding, I'm just in a hotel room. What's <laughs> happening, Eric? How are you doing there in Cape Town? Hey, brother. Yeah, good, man. Sure, that pic you shared, was that from your hotel room? No, that was from the event hall with the... <clears throat> with a sort incredible. of snow-peaked uh, mountain. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Really amazing. Mm, they were so beautiful. How was the event? The event was amazing. Um, I, I don't know. I think there was about 800 people there. It was really busy. Uh, very, very, um, very, like, received it well. But on the whole, Bulgarians are not very optimistic people. And there was mm. a guy who actually stood up and said there was an article in The Econom- Economist a while back and said – in Europe, the rich, the poor, and the Bulgarians. And he, he was saying this is a this was a this is an article and he was saying we really have a problem. We we are very pessimistic. And it was really just about the the culture that has been through so much, the country's been through so much, and really they haven't processed a lot of it. So they're sitting with a lot of pessimism. Mm. So it was a hard crowd to get like moving in the right direction, but they really took it well and, and they enjoyed it and uh yeah, it was very good. But, you know, I also thought about South Africa where there's that sort of it hasn't processed all that sadness yet. And if you think about certain countries yeah. around the world, mm. they just haven't processed it. And so it shows up as anger. It shows up as pessimism. It shows up as sadness. It shows up in war, like in Israel and Palestine. Mm. So, mm. yeah, it was an interesting, interesting uh, – um, it's interesting because I was in India on Monday, Las Vegas on Wednesday, and Bulgaria on Friday. And just very different crowds. Like everybody was just very culturally very, very different. Like India is all about let's go. Or America is also let's go. We can't get enough. And then Bulgaria is like, hey, hold on a second. It's not that bright. (laughs) 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 But you are very sweet people, very kind people. You are becoming a – like a, an expert traveler. I mean, I think you've probably been one for a while, but I think this year you're kind of putting that on steroids a bit. I don't know. It's just what's happened, you know. Just the, the bookings are much more international. I've just gotten confirmation mm. of Philippines, Indonesia, Australia, and Cayman Islands. Excellent. So, like places I've never been to, and that's really great. I've surpassed sixty countries, and so yeah, I'm, I actually love playing. I call it Tetris, suitcase Tetris. And uh, packing in, packing out, packing on, packing on the go. Pack, I just, I love it. It's such a great game. You know? <laughs> so uh, I've been, uh, yeah, I've become professional at it. Whenever I walk through an airport, I feel at home. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah. You know? I, a lot mm. of people like ask, like, aren't you tired? Don't you get tired of it? And like, my response always is the same. It's like, it's not going to last forever. This is happening at the moment. It's an amazing opportunity to see the world and, you know, to get to pay to see the world. I'm seeing so many different cultures. I'm, understanding so many different things about different parts of the world and I'm just loving that process. So while it's hot and happening, I'm all in enjoying it and loving it, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny cause so this week I did some traveling as well for, for work and for speaking 
And I was saying to Dan, it actually felt uh, uncomfortable to me to travel mm. because I'm also, I'm so set in my routine here where I'm, where I'm living at the moment. And like every day, you know, like I, I know what the day is going to look like. Um, 12 o'clock with the pups going out. And it was, it, it actually felt weird. Like it felt disconnected to me to leave this and to, yeah. and to go out. And I said to her, like, I actually need to get into the rhythm of that again, because it's not like, I don't want, I, I think there are extremes, right? And like, I think one extreme is like, you stay at home all the time. The other extreme is you're traveling all the time. Like you do. I think there's a middle ground that I want to find because I like the way my life is set up here from a stationary point of view and like from an anchor point point of view. But I know there's more traveling that also needs to happen because that's just the nature of the work that we do as well. And so it was interesting for me to feel like some resistance yes. regarding the traveling, yes. but also knowing that this is something that I do want and, and yes. having to dissolve that and kind of like just being aware of that feeling. It was very interesting. Well, you know, yesterday I saw this meme about when you come to work in January, you've forgotten everything that you know. Like you come there and you're like, what's going yeah. on? What do I have to do? Who's, who's doing what? Like everybody's very confused, you know? Even when I, when I did my first talk this year, I was like, I hadn't done a talk for two months. I was like, what? What am I saying? I've even forgotten yeah. half the slides. And so I think it's also that, you know, you're also like, you're breaking out of a pattern of a holiday and, and getting back into it. I imagine mm. a lot of people are feeling that. But also, listen, I mean, yeah. the house of a kept house husband is a very beautiful life. You know what I mean? I it's and you a know beautiful life. It's a beautiful and life. You play tennis, you know, you do your nails. <laughs> you paddle, paddle, please. Paddle, I mean, sorry, sorry. You know, paddle, you know, yeah. I mean, who wants to let go of that life? I agree do your nails. You. Yeah, do your yeah. nails. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that either. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I get you. Yeah. But, um, Listen, and actually yeah. like just missing the pups, you know, oh, like that's, being with them or absolutely. like that's, uh, I get yeah. that. I and get that. It, it was it was so nice because it, you know, this was the first time that I left Atlas mm. uh, where he hasn't seen me for like two days. Mm. Dude, I come back last night and he, his body is like shaking. He's so <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. he cannot contain yeah. his happiness. Uh, Best what feeling, a, man. What a great Best feeling. Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, that's most probably why I don't have dogs because I couldn't travel. You have to be no family, no dogs, so you can move. Otherwise, you're just missing yeah. people and things and places mm. too much. Yeah, yeah. So mm. you're right. It is it is tough when you've got that sort of situation. Look, I've had I've had yeah. one of the biggest weeks of my life. I, I I've shared a, a stage with uh, two monks. Uh, well, one of them is actually a guru. I was on stage in India with a guy called Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. Uh, this, I don't know, very famous, uh, guru guy. And then I was in, uh, LA with, uh, Rob Lowe and, uh, Danny Davis and Dan Dapani. And wow, man, just like some amazing, amazing people doing some amazing things. But the most impressive guy was Danny Davis. This guy who's, he's another name. His new book is called the Ku Klux Klan Whisperer, uh, uh African-American guy that sat with many Ku Klux Klan bosses and, they left the KKK after they spent time with him and he's going to be on the pod. And I'm really excited that we're going to have him as a guest. He was on Joe Rogan and he was a huge success on Joe Rogan. And uh, so he's agreed to come on the pod with us and explain us to us his story. So I'm super excited about having him on. So we're going to get some timings of that sorted. Um, can you tell me like in a nutshell, you know, what made him famous? Like, is, is it that he had, is it the conversion of, X amount of Ku Klux Klan. No, no. So initially, he, he was a musician for Chuck Berry, the guy who invented rock and roll. And so yeah, he, no, he was with Elvis okay. and all of those. I mean, he was already famous. 
But when he was 10 years old, um, you, his family was part of the embassy, American embassy. So they moved around all around the world. And uh, when he was 10, he was in America for a little stint and he felt racism for the first time. And he had never known what racism was. So, but he bewildered him. And so what he did, did when he was older, started to interview racists and the racists of the racists with the KKK. So he started interviewing them to try and understand why, like what, what happened. And just by holding that space, one by one, they started leaving and giving him all the outfits. So he's got all these white masks and all oh, these wow. like robes. Uh, okay. And then he was on Joe Rogan and then it just blew up. You know what I mean? And now he's yeah, on the imagine. circuit speaking mm. and Joe Rogan speaks about him a few times on his pod when he's not on the pod. But I got to tell you, I've never met a human being like that ever. And, you know, I was on stage with two gurus, like Dan Dapani, uh, an amazing guy, a monk, and uh, he was celibate for 10 years in a monastery in Sri Lanka and now lives in Costa Rica. And obviously, Shishri is obviously a huge deal around the world. And both of them are really amazing. But Danny, Dan, Dan Davis, I mean, Daryl Davis was a, a different type of person. I mean, I, I've never been so inspired by somebody. And and also you got two standing ovations. I've never seen two standing ovations. I've never seen one standing ovation. None of the other guys got standing ovations. This guy got two. So very happy that he's going to be on the pod. And then we've also had Dan Dapani also who's had multiple millions of videos watched on YouTube and on many interviews. He's also going to be coming on to our pod. And if you don't know who he is, he's the guy who's got the three stripes across his forehead. Yeah. Um, mm, so also very interesting, yeah. very mm. interesting insight. So he's also going to be on the pod. So we're going to have some really cool people on the pod real soon. So really looking forward to that and sharing that. But let's get to today's pod. Cool. And yeah. let's talk about building teams in 2024. And I think this is such an important topic because you can't go alone towards the future. You have to have people around you. And to understand how to build teams, attract the right capabilities, keep them focused and keep them creative moving into the future is an absolute paramount must. You know, and I think about my own team, I couldn't do anything without them. I mean, Shams is a machine Gloria is awesome. My digital team's great. My LinkedIn team. I mean, these are all people that I've got relationships, long-standing relationships with and an incredibly important part of my life. I mean, I, I literally would most probably get stuck at different airports without visas if I didn't have everybody around me looking after me. So great topic. Eric's uh, obviously a specialist and an expert in this field. So Eric, over to you, brother. So I think the most important thing when it comes to how do we build a high-performance team in 2024 and how do we cultivate leaders in 2024? Obviously, the big thing to uh, start talking about is the difference between 2023 and 2024. And I think really it comes down to two words that we speak about all the time, mm. and that is complexity and change. Mm. So, for, And I'm going to go into much detail about these. Uh, I think we've covered them a lot on the pod. What I will say is that we know what complexity leads to is that everything in the world is intertwined, intermingled, interwoven. There is more nuance. There are more redefining of things happening. And ultimately what this leads to is that there's more specialization that is happening around the world. You know, I think for a long time, everyone was kind of leading to the idea that generalists are going to be better than specialists. But I think what we're seeing is that everything is becoming so complex that you need a specialist to go and figure that out. But more than that, you, just, you don't just need a specialist. You need a team of specialists. And so, you know, we, we look at, for example, uh, planes, you know, the Wright brothers built theirs in 1903. Two guys are able to assemble that plane and have sustained flight. Today, you look at an airplane, it's a, like a marvel of technology. 
You need thousands of specialists for even the smallest part of that plane to make it work. And so you need to bring specialists together to figure out complex problems, to solve complex issues. But I mean, we don't even have to look to aviation, right? Let's look to something as simple as marketing. You can't be an all-in-one marketer today. It's <laughs> impossible. Like impossible. for that, you'll need to be good at copywriting and graphic editing and video designing and uh, SEO. And uh, you know, it's just like, it's way too much. It's yeah. Im- impossible. Yeah. And so to combat complexity, we need to be able to bring specialists together in order to combat it. So that's the, the first one to keep in mind. Okay, so so hang on, hang on, hang on. So um, yeah. this is in both understanding technology as well as understanding the industry itself because technology and the impact it has on that industry is also it's so complex that you have to understand the technology in the industry. So it sometimes doesn't even cross because it's so specific. So this is very much the similar to that AI opportunity radar that we spoke about. It's so specific, the skills that you need to go in and be doing. So yes, okay, I like it. Very good so far. Cool. And then the the second um, addition to that, obviously, is that you have complexity, but you have that uh, multiplied by change, which is a lot of change, but also incredible speed of change. And the only thing that we're really talking about at the moment, even though there's a lot of changes happening in multiple sectors and industries, the only thing we're really talking about is the proliferation of artificial intelligence. Mm. And the thing is, you are either going to see artificial intelligence as a uh, threat or as a tool. Mm. You're going to see it as an enemy or as a collaborative partner. Mm. And only one of those ways of thinking ultimately leads you to productive outcome. Mm. And so it's up to you to choose what that's going to be. Mm. But, you know, name your industry, like name the, the uh, sector that you operate in, and we will be able to find plenty of examples of how AI has already mm. um, changed that or how it's busy changing it. And so we need to not only think about in, in our teams, we can't just think about human-to-human collaboration. We need to start changing that mindset to how do we also think about human to AI collaboration? Mm. And so your team this year is it has new team members. Yeah. And those team that's members so are human. Yes, yeah. Wow. I love that. <laughs> yes. And and that's the thing that you need to think about ultimately. Mm. So in this this one talk that I've been giving, I speak about collaborative intelligence. And collaborative intelligence for me has a few different applications. But one application of that is that we are operating in a multi-agent system. And in a multi-agent system, what you have is human, machine, and AI that has to collaborate autonomously to contribute to a problem-solving network. Mm. And so what we need to think of as leaders is, well, how do we get our team to then be more collaborative Mm. so we can deal with the complexity of the world? Mm. But also, how do we foster collaboration within our team, human to human, but also human to AI? That's a big one. That's very, very good. I love that. Um, and if you think about a Tesla, for example, a, a driverless Tesla, I mean, an autonomous vehicle, it's exactly that, right? So the human, the car, the AI, the machinery, the network, Starlink, LiDAR, I mean, you just name it. There's like, there's so many different moving parts in there that all have to be in symbiosis in order to make this happen. So we have a new professor. I was speaking about this last night. It's like, we have a travel agent, a nutritionist, a professor, and uh, I don't know, a doctor now as a, as a, as an intimate friend inside our phone. And everything this year is going to be about, I mean, you saw the new Samsung being launched. 
everything's AI. Dude, I'm so bleak about that. Can I just tell you? Because you just got I, the old one. <laughs> I, I just literally two days ago went to go fetch my S23 Ultra. <laughs> I and I that. knew, I knew they were launching mid Jan. And uh, anyway. Anyway, let's, 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 keep, let, let's, move, let's move along quickly. Uh, you lose that. But anyway, um, what, is that, what is that phone from last generation you've got there, Eric? What is that? Is it dial-up? Is it a dial-up phone? Uh, okay. Anyway, so if you look at Rabbits, this new Rabbit thing, and now with Samsung, and obviously, I don't know if you've seen these stats, how Apple is not using the word AI in any of its presentations, and mm. everybody else is using AI. They're going to launch now with iOS 17, which is going to take Siri to a whole new level of intimacy with us. And so you're having this symbiosis between us and AI and the machinery. Very, very smart. Love that interaction. Great. Move on. Cool. So... What this also then tells us is that as leaders, we need to really think about our leadership style. And what we've seen is that over the years um, and the different eras that we've moved through, that every era calls for a specific leadership style. Mm. It needs a specific leadership style. Yeah. So we go into the first industrial revolution, right? And the first industrial revolution was really the extraction of coal, um, mechanization of the world. We see the rise of factories. And so in this period of time, we don't need you to be creative and innovative. We just need you to do what you're being told. And so the leadership style that emerges is the autocratic leadership mm -hmm. style. Just here's what to do. Go and do it. My favorite. Then it's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I've been evolved I want to bring it back. Uh, since what? the mid-1800s. Yeah. Yeah. Can we bring it back? We move into the second industrial revolution and we see the proliferation of industries like steel, oil, and electricity. What we also see in the second industrial revolution is the birth of the organization. And so for the first time, we have corporates, you know, and what comes with corporates is hierarchy and structure and chain of command. And so the bureaucratic leadership style becomes the most prominent of that stage. Then the third industrial revolution or the digital revolution, digital revolution is the emergence of technology and the computer. And of course, we see during this time, the most researched, the most published, the most well-known leadership style of all time that emerges, and that is transformational leadership. And the reason why this is such a big thing is because all we talk about is digital transformation. And of course, digital transformation is going to be led by transformational leaders. And so it's actually insane when you go and look at the data, the amount of papers that have been published around transformational leadership dwarfs any other leadership style that has ever been spoken about. So let's just recap. Autocratic, too organizational, too transformational. Is that, is that yes. the three? Okay. Yes. And now in the fourth, now we're entering a new era. And okay. this is the era of the Internet of Things, AI, and robotics. Yeah. And of course, what we are seeing is the convergence of technology. We are seeing the collaboration of different companies and different technologies. And so what that really tells us is that as leaders, we need to also develop a more collaborative leadership style. And it's because of everything that I've just said, which is that when we collaborate, we get to solve complex problems. When we collaborate, we are able to be more innovative and creative. But also when we collaborate, we start pulling on the strengths of these different parts of the mm. machine, right? So like we figure out the strengths of the machine, the AI and the people, and we find ways to bring them together. Um, and I think that's ultimately what collaborative leadership is going to be about is that you are the, you are good at collaboration 
in in the moment, like in the collaboration, you are you know what to do. You know how to bring the best out of people. But you are also an instigator of collaboration. You go and find the opportunities to collaborate. You are the spark for collaboration. And so I want to tell you about three mental models that I think is going to help you uh, be more collaborative in 2024, thinking about it from a teams and a human to AI. I love that. And I think you just bank it quickly because yeah. when you say a leader must be more collaborative, does this leader also have to understand technology and AI in a brand new way? Because, I mean, it's it's a brand new thing. So how much how much technical knowledge do you think they need to have or is that industry specific? Because I imagine like leaders, I guess would you have to hire new people with new capabilities to understand AI, to want to teach it in because it's such a new thing? You know, um, I think there's value in having a broad understanding and I think that's probably enough. You know, you don't need to be um, expert level around your understanding of it, but I think you need to be able to see the shifts that are happening. You need to see the trends. You need to see how the world is moving and, and recalibrate yourself according to that. Um, actually, yesterday when I was uh, doing the facilitation, I spoke about the OODA loop. And the OODA loop is this thing they use in like for jet fighter pilots is what they train the pilots on to make like better decisions. And OODA stands for Observe, Orientate, Decision, Action. And I think what leaders need to become really good at is that observation and orientation, you know, like it, it makes you like, you just make sure that you're moving in the right direction all the time. And then you rely on your team to execute against that. But I think that's always what leadership has been at its core is to set vision, is to set direction. And so you can't do that if you don't have a good nuanced feel for what is happening in the industry or the, the world around you. What is your, what is your take on that? No, no, I think, I think it's, uh... Look, I, I think it's a time, you know, they were asked me yesterday on an interview, tell me about leadership, this and that. I said, you know, and I've said this on the pod before, it's never been harder to be a leader. Never been harder to be a leader. I mean, I don't want to be a leader. And I am a leader in a small team, not a big team. But it's just a very tough place to be. You have to have your pulse. Uh, you have to have your you know, finger on the pulse. You have to be very emotionally intelligent. You have to be patient. You have to be creative. You have to be... Uh, it's it's a lot. So yes, I, I do think you need a broad stroke. I love that Uda. Just say that again. Uh, observe, uh, observe, orient, or orientate, uh, decide, act. Very good. Yeah, I think I think that's you. Yeah, you're a fighter pilot, really, yeah. more than anything else. The things are moving so fast. I like that analogy. So yeah, very good. Enjoy it. Okay, let's go with the three mental models. All right. Before I get to that, uh, let's quickly talk about what is the number one thing that kills collaboration, uh, and the number one killer is defensiveness. Mm. Defensiveness is uh, something that Jim Tam has spoken about in his work. So Jim Tam is a, a former judge. He spent 25 years mediating thousands of uh, employment disputes. And he said, you know, whenever he entered into those conversations, the moment someone becomes defensive, they put up this wall. And the moment there's a wall, nothing gets through. And so defensiveness is a strategy that we employ because of a few reasons. Uh, the first is that it protects our ego that when we have to collaborate with new tools like AI, then it means we have to come down from the mountain of competence and we have to start from scratch. We have to be a beginner again, an amateur, a newbie. Mm. And we don't mm. like that because we look stupid. So we don't want to be, mm. we don't want to be like seen as stupid. And so instead of doing that, we just, we just go, I, like, I'm not going to do it. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. Like, you know, I can catch up with the time later. And I was saying in the keynotes that when I was much, much younger, one of my uncles said to me that, you know, before you jump into a cold pool, you have to wet your wrist because 
Uh, otherwise, you're going to jump into the pool, you're going to have a heart attack. And the wetting your wrists, <laughs> wetting your wrists just uh, acclimatizes you to the water. Yeah, and yeah. obviously, like we've seen thousands of cold plunge videos by now. We see that like, nobody's died. <laughs> no one's died. So that was a lie. And if you were ever told the same, now you know it's, uh, it's untrue. But I think there's a nice analogy in it, which is that when it comes to new tools like AI, you should keep your wrists wet, meaning you should keep trying small things. You should just expose yourself to it in small ways over time so that when you are eventually plunged into the world of AI, you don't experience a system shock. Um, yeah. That's how you're going like to overcome that defensiveness. The yeah. second thing that happens is that uh, it saves us from rejection, you know, defensiveness, because ultimately, so if you're not thinking about human to AI, but you're thinking human to human collaboration, it means mm. that if I want to collaborate with you, but you don't want to collaborate with me, like that kind of stings. It, it sucks. Mm. And in most relationships, there are power dynamics that emerge, there's status, all these kind of things play into it. Mm. And so uh, he actually said that defensiveness doesn't protect us from other people. It protects us from our fears. And our fears Oof. relate to our significance, our competence, and our likability. And so, you know, the moment those, those things are attacked, we, we just step back. And so you can see that. I'm actually thinking of all the times I've become defensive just to protect myself rather than, wow, that is, that is mm. a big one. I think that's not even in teams. That's just in life, really, you know? For you, sure. You, yeah. And you see it so often. Wow. That is such a big one. Hey, defending my ego. Wow. Mm. Okay. And so defensiveness kills collaboration straight out of the gate. And what we need to, the mindset we need to bring to collaboration is that it, it requires courage. It requires that sometimes we go first and it requires that we try new things. And so with that, I think I can share the three mental models with you. Love All it. Good? Wow. All right. Very, very good. Uh, defending. Mm. What a terrible, what a terrible characteristic. Yeah, and such a natural thing for us to slot into. Oh man, I can't believe it. So the first one that, uh, there are three ones, that, uh, three that I want to share, exploration, openness, and augmentation. So the very first mental model and I think a very natural segue, obviously, from the, the uh, theme of defensiveness is that the antidote to defensiveness is openness, is mm. that we have to cultivate an attitude of let's see what happens. Uh, uh, yes, and, and. Yes, yes, and. Yes, and. And there's a beautiful quote that I share in my keynote, which is that it comes from Aaron Hansen. There's freedom waiting for you on the breezes of the sky, and you ask, what if I fall? But, oh, my darling... What if you fly? What if you fly? Beautiful. Love and it. so... Love uh, it. What if you fly? You know, we've been finding ways of uh, sneakily introducing the pod into our keynotes. And so this is how, where I introduced <laughs> the pod into the, into the keynote <laughs> in a very uh, stealthy way. Yeah. But so, you know, we can talk about um, openness and, and defensiveness and talk about like celebrities and, you know, people that have uh, taken chances on things. Mm. But I always think a more relatable story here is that... In 2017, I met this guy called John Sane, mm -hmm. and we were introduced through a mutual friend, and we had a coffee um, somewhere in Bryanston, I think. And from 2017 to 2019, we were in contact all the time. We uh, did some coaching together at some point. We were thinking partners. Uh, but we weren't great friends. We were just like acquaintances and, and you know, in touch. And then in 2019-ish, I had this feeling that we should do a, a podcast together. But my very first instinct was, what if he says no? 
And then I look like the idiot. And of course, you know, these things play around in your head all the time. You, you know, what if he's too busy? Or what if he's like, no, he doesn't want to, like, just doesn't want to do it with me or whatever the reason may be. And so I procrastinated on reaching out regarding the pod for months. And then it just kept nagging and nagging. And eventually I was like, well, like, let me just try. What's the worst that could happen? And so I sent a WhatsApp. I said, we should do a podcast together. And it was less than a minute. And you replied and you said, I'm in. And from a six word long WhatsApp message until it, it created this pod that today, four years later, we've recorded more than 8,000 minutes of audio. We've been in the top 5% most shared globally on Spotify. We've been awarded uh, something for being the best Korean entrepreneurship podcast in the country. And it all just came from a, a short message. Yeah, a short moment of overcoming defensiveness and being more open to what might be on the other side. Jeez. And that's the thing about collaboration. Yeah. It's like you never know where it takes you. Mm. You never know what happens. And this is one of the, the keys about collaboration is that it's quite magical. Mm. It transforms potential into opportunity. Mm. Yeah. And so where are you perhaps defensive and where do you need to be more open mm. to go and pursue collaboration today? So the next mental model is around exploration. And it's a mental model that I love speaking about. The mental model is about explore and extract. And so what we ultimately want is we are always operating one of these two modes. And we want to be able to fluidly and effortlessly move between them. But very often we get stuck. And when we get stuck, that becomes quite problematic. So when you extract, you are extracting value from what is working. When you explore, you are trying new things. Now, if you get stuck in extraction, it means that you are so focused on what's working today that you don't lift your head up to see how the world is changing. And of course, what this means is over time, you become irrelevant. And we've seen many examples of that. It also means that you are so busy harvesting from today that you don't plant the seeds for tomorrow. If, on the other hand, you get stuck in exploration mode, it means that you are so busy trying out new ideas, you never give anything enough time to get traction. But also, it means that you are so busy trying to find new collaborations that you don't invest any time and effort into really creating depth and substance in any of those relationships. And so ultimately, the best situation for us to be in is that, of course, we are extracting value from what is working today. You need to do that. Mm. You've, you've put in the effort to get to this point. So you need to yeah. tap it for what it's worth. Yeah. But in the same breath, you also need to be looking for new opportunities. Yes. And so the best, it's kind of this dance, right? It's like I'm extracting value from what is working, but I'm also going out to see what is out there. When I find something that's working, I kind of bring it back into this extraction state. And then I just keep moving between the two. My favorite story about this, a brand that has done this exceptionally well, is Stanley. So Stanley is a 110-year-old company. These new cups, geez, they're everywhere. They are everywhere, dude. And so... They're a 110-year-old company. Yeah. And it took them about 105 years to get to a point where they were doing $75 million in turnover. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. In 2019, they did $75 yeah. million in turnover. In 2023, they did $750 million in turnover. Jeez. And so what happened is that since the inception of the company, they've always marketed and sold to men. And they yes. sold this very iconic flask that yes. keeps your hot stuff hot and your cold stuff cold. Yeah. And so for 105, no, like about 100 years of their existence, essentially, they are just extracting value from what is working. This thing is selling well, it's moving forward. 
Then in 2014, they start trying out new products. So they're busy exploring. They sell barware and like all these different sort of iterations of um, the flask. And eventually in 2016, they also launched this Stanley Tumblr. Now, initially, the Stanley Tumblr actually doesn't do that well. They sell it for about three years. And by 2019, they think, listen, we're going to actually discontinue it. But there's a group of women who run a site called The Buy Guide, and they love this thing. They're obsessed over this thing. They petition Stanley. They say, please don't discontinue it. In fact, we'll buy 5,000 units from you and we'll sell it through our site. But, and they sell it in a couple of days. No, but they ask for certain colors. That, that's coming. Oh, so is it? Sorry, they, sorry, sorry. So sorry. they sell it. Yeah, so they sell it. And then at the same time, the president that or the, the head of strategy that was at Crocs previously becomes president at Stanley. Oh. And so he goes on a listening tour, yeah. Oh. And he's listening to employees tell different stories about what is working and not working in the company. And one thing that he hears is that there's this group of women that love this cup. And he goes, well, whenever there are fans, people who are deeply passionate about something, we have to go and investigate yeah. it. And so he goes to speak to them. And he, mm. they tell him about this new demographic because now they are selling predominantly to women. Yes. And one of the things that he says is that what, what they tell him is that Women want different colors. They don't yeah. want to walk around with a Stanley that is like looks masculine. Yeah. They want something they can take the office into the gym and that's going to look cool with them. And so they launch new colors and they collaborate with this brand to get the Stanley out into the world. More than that, they start collaborating with Starbucks and they start collaborating with Olay. Um, it gets to the point where there's such a mass hysteria about this brand that you can only buy, you're only allowed to buy two cups at a time. It's like Look, it's there insanity. Was, there was also that unbelievable luck of that lady's car burning and having a Stanley in there with still ice, ice still in the. I mean, that is just that's just so Afterwards. lucky. Yeah. yeah, that's just so lucky. Yeah. So brilliant. I think what what I love about their their story is that it just shows this beautiful dance between exploring new partnerships and then extracting, and extracting. value from it, and then Very exploring good. new color, colors and then extracting value from it, exploring love new it. ranges and you know. Love so it. they do this. They do this dance beautifully. And the thing that you need to think about in 2024, if you're a leader, is how will you go and actively seek out those collaborations? You can't mm -hmm. wait for them to come to you. You need to go actively seek them out. And then the last mental model to share with you is around becoming augmented. And like we've said in 2024, you need to think beyond human to human collaboration. You need to think about human to AI collaboration. And when we collaborate with AI, there are really three types of collaboration that emerges. The first is AI-centric collaboration. And this is where we are more in a supervisory role, but ultimately AI is doing all of it. Yes. So self-driving cars is a good example of this. Initially, and you actually told the story in the pod not too long ago, that initially like you put a lot of effort into the self-driving car. You are supervising, you are helping it you know, to learn. But at some point, we're going to get into the car and it's just going to drive. Yes. It's AI-centric. It doesn't require our input over yes. time. Yes. And you told that story about one of your friends that on one trip had to do like 70% yeah. uh, of the work and the next trip had to do like 20% of the work yeah. a few years yeah. uh, in between. So that's AI-centric. The next is human-centric. Human-centric collaboration is when AI just enhances our capability and our performance. And so ChatGPT has been the easiest example of this. We know that when you do work with ChatGPT, in some studies, it have been able to reduce the amount of time to get something done by 40% and mm. increase the quality of the output by up to 18%. Wow. So it's really just AI that um, you utilize to make you a little bit more productive, mm. more efficient, more effective. Mm. And then the final one is symbiosis. And symbiosis is where AI and humans 
both bring something to the party. So we are leveraging off each other's strengths. What we leverage off from a human point of view is our discernment and our creativity. What we leverage from AI is it's just ability to brute force crunch numbers, mm. large mm. data sets. Mm. And so a good example of this would be an artificial intelligence that's busy helping to diagnose a patient. It can take all the information, it can compare to like all the patients in the world, you know, something like Watson, for example, but ultimately in the hands of the doctor, they still have to look at their clinical picture and make a decision. But so you get better data from the AI, but you still combine it with the insight and the nuanced look or view of the world of the person. And so those are the three different uh, human uh, or yeah, AI collaborations that we have. Um, in my talk, I also give just a few different examples of this. So uh, one symbiosis, for example, uh, tool that we've been using is Riverside. You know, there was a time when Riverside, we, or we, we would record the pod, we would send the audio somewhere, we would send the video somewhere, and then the video would have to be cut up and then we would be charged per cut, per clip that we get back. And these days on, on Riverside, by the time we're done, we have 10 to 12 clips that we can choose from that has already been done by AI for us. So it takes care of that. Where the symbiosis comes in is that we need to look at those clips and see which of them best resonates with our audience. And then we still need to put headlines onto them and descriptions onto them that's going to be enticing enough to get people to watch them. And so we still use our discernment in terms of which ones might perform best. Something that people need to be aware of is that over time, uh, you don't need to become an AI expert. I think that's been a big revelation for me, actually, because what's going to happen is that most of your AI collaborations will happen in the background, just like Riverside does. We don't need to be an expert to figure that out. The collaboration happens because the tool has AI already built into it, and that's what you're going to see. AI built into everything, so your life becomes easier. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't go and look for specific tools, though. And so a few ones just to go and look at them. I'm just going to rattle these off. Uh, Synthesia, obviously, we know about that one. It's just where you can input text and it creates an avatar for you. Use it in sales videos, use it in training videos. Uh, Fireflies, but these days, all the tools already have it built in, kind of to my point. Like Zoom has a meeting assistant. I think Teams probably have one in Copilot. Um, what these do is they sit in on your meeting, they transcribe it for you, and they send you like actionable takeaways. I've loved this, loved this tool when I do client calls. Like afterwards, when I'm done, like I take notes, but when I get that summary afterwards, it's so precise. It's so good. So I've loved having these tools. Uh, Perplexity is a kind of a new Google that's trying to emerge where once you've searched for something, it gives you a bit of a summary of, um, of what's happening. And then Bing, uh, Bing's image creator. Midjourney these days is paid for, but Bing is still free. And I mean, just like the uh, amount of content you can output from a LinkedIn point of view or a blog post point of view, whatever, creating images for those, like it, it becomes so easy. And so that, that is, well, those are the three mental models uh, that I want to share with you. Um, I want to kind of close this out, but before I do that, any thoughts, anything that you want to share? Jeez, it feels like a flipping excellent lecture. I uh, really <laughs> enjoyed that. I think the way you've broken it down gives leaders and teams very clear I don't know, things to do, like very clear. I think it was excellent. I, I really enjoyed it. I need to digest it. I've actually made some notes just to go and think about uh, the different ways to approach it. So, yeah, I mean, I think for anybody that's thinking about building teams and leaders for 2024, this is an excellent keynote. What, what is the keynote called, uh, Eric? It's, so this was actually collaborative intelligence. 
Um, you know, like the, the more I think about it, that's the work that I'm in is when I'm working with teams, mm. I'm trying to get you to collaborate better. Mm. And, and that collaboration doesn't come naturally to us. Yeah. So we, we have to know, that's why I was saying, like you have to know when you're in the collaboration, mm. who, whether that's collaborating with one person or with AI or with a team, you need to know once you're in the collaboration, how do I do this? Like how do mm. I collaborate well? But then you also need to be the instigator of collaboration because you know the world is complex. You know yeah. the world is changing very quickly. And you can't do this on your own. Yeah. And so you need to go find those collaborations. And I, yeah. I think you are very good at, at finding those collaborations that, that help propel you forward. Yeah. So we need to be very active in that. And what I want to leave you with mm. is actually um, a story and a quote that I opened the, the keynote with, which is that uh, you have C.S. Lewis, who is the author of Chronicles of Narnia. You have J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. And then you have Charles Williams, who... I don't really, I'm, I'm not familiar with these books, but he wrote more than 22 novels and he was regarded as one of the most like finest suspense writers of his time. And so the three of them collaborate on an informal writing club known as the Inklings. And what they do is they meet every week, they laugh together, they talk about their writing, they talk about life. And eventually Charles Williams passes away. And C.S. Lewis says that something he comes to really miss is the way that Tolkien would laugh in a very specific way at the way that Charles Williams would tell his jokes, at like a signature Charles Williams joke. And so as he reflects on this later, he says that in each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. Oh, wow. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. Oh. I want other lights than my own to show all of his facets. And so when we think about that, mm. we realize that, you know, you've seen this in your own life, that when you speak mm. to certain people, they bring out certain parts of you. And what that tells us is that there's actually dormant potential sitting inside of us. And that dormant potential is only called into activity by people around us. It's only activated by the people around us. And so knowing that, why wouldn't we make every effort to go and meet new people, to find new collaborations, to see what they could call out of us? But what's even more exciting is to know that you are the activator, that you have that same potential, that every collaboration you enter into, you bring something that only you can bring. You unlock potential that only you could unlock, and you unearth in people something that only you could unearth. Jeez, and dude. so that is why I want you to be collaborative, in 2024. <laughs> you can't see the camera. I'm doing a standing ovation. Standing ovation. Standing ovation. That was excellent. <laughs> wow. You, you, the more time you spend with different type of people, the more they bring out different things in you. Man, that is just fantastic. I love, I also quote C.S. Lewis, but not that quote. That quote's fantastic, man. <laughs> I love that quote. Thank I love you. that Thank quote. You. That is fantastic. It's so funny you say that, you know, it's like wherever I speak, it's like almost have to bring a different, you have to bring a different tone because that crowd's asking a different thing from you, you know? I've never thought about it in mm. those terms. Collaborative intelligence. What a great name for a keynote. What fantastic um, content. I think it's really powerful and I'm so glad I listened to this. I mean, this, I think this has been Thank the you. best one. This is the best one I've actually listened to you from. You know, I've had to put through 2,200 <laughs> podcasts to get to this, Eric. <laughs> yes, that's patience, huh? Accretion. 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 Yes, exactly. <laughs> 
Well done. I loved it. Um, I feel you. better Thank for you. it, uh, listening to that. So congratulations. I'm sure your clients love that talk. You must have really uh, hit a nerve there with Cipla. Um, so well done, and uh, thank you so much for sharing that. I, uh, I'm about to leave for the airport, so uh, any closing remarks uh, there, Eric, uh, coming from Collaborative Intelligence? No, no I think, you know, um, I, I'm, Collaborative Intelligence is top of the list for me for this year as well. I want to be more active in seeking out collaboration. Mm. And I, I really think it's not just because I'm doing that that I'm saying that people should do it. It's because... Mm. I think when we look to the world, it's really a truly a need. And mm. we haven't even touched on the fact, for example, that loneliness is becoming an mm. epidemic as well. Mm. And so if we are going to build the future, we are going to do it together. Mm. And it's not just if we're going to build the future as a collective. It's like if you're going to build your future, you're going to do it together. Mm. You know? So there's a great uh, there's a great line i read it said uh, in the age of aquarius which is now which we're moving into we're talking a little bit of astrology here but in the age of aquarius co- community is the highest form of technology mm. and i love that terminology it's mm. like it's you have to have community you have to have people around you you have to have relationships in fact yesterday one of the interview guys uh, i was being interviewed for for a tv station here and the guy said what's the most important thing for you and I, it caught me off guard but actually i came down to relationships it's like, mm. I, I think it's actually the most important thing we could be cultivating a relationship with ourselves and the relationship with other people and places. And, and it's so important that collaborative understanding. And again, mm. Daryl Davis showed me the, imp- the incredible power of conversation and collaboration and what he's been able to do with that, you know? So yeah, good. I feel richer for listening to this part. Thank you so much, Eric, for sharing your wisdom. Thank you. To everybody else, thank you so much for joining us again for another pod this week. And um, we got some exciting things lined up for the year. We're always working on new things that we want to add value to for ourselves and for you. If you think this pod could help somebody, please do share it with them. And until next week, ciao.